Hey, welcome back to the Backyard Professor videos. Uh, I want to talk about the CES letter. Uh, and it's true, Jeremy Rummels wrote the CES letter, what now, six years ago or so. So, yeah, it's typical. I'm late to the party. <laughs> uh, however, you know, the apologists, the, uh, the church leadership, uh, regular, typical Mormons, they're miffed with this CES letter phenomenon. And it, it's, uh, it's impressive. What is it that is making the CES letter, not only its longevity of going viral and being read by so many hundreds of thousands of people, what is it that is giving it its punch? It's, uh, it's power because this thing is not going away much to the chagrin of the Mormon leadership and the apologists. And there are reasons why that is happening. And I kind of want to, you know, browse, think out loud with you as it were, browse through some of the ideas that Runnels has expressed in the CES letter and give an overall idea of just what is it about this thing that is so incredibly attractive. Not only for Mormons and ex-Mormons, but for typical people who have never even heard of Mormonism, they read the CES letter and they start asking around and saying, wow, you know, have, have Mormons been able to answer this? This seems pretty powerful, right? That's because it is pretty powerful. One thing that Runnels does so well is he just simply, bam, cuts to the core. He just gets right to the point. Now, the response to this has been really enlightening uh, for someone who's kind of stepping away from it and observing from a bird's eye view not only the letter and, and uh, the effect of the letter on people but on the response to that letter has been really interesting because so many are attacking Jeremy and not dealing with the substance of his letter. Now, the church education system director, the CES director, asked Jeremy to write down his concerns and he would answer those concerns. So Jeremy did, but the director never answered his concerns. What is it about someone who asks really provocative and powerful questions about really provocative and power problems within the Mormon narrative, the official Mormon narrative? When that is presented, and yes, Mormons are 
basically intimidated into not questioning too closely, right? I mean, the idea is to sit down and reverently listen and just believe what you're being told and then gain a testimony of what you've been told is the truth and the Holy Ghost will testify and then we have millions of people out there who are testifying about the truth of the narrative, right? Along comes Jeremy Runnels and he says, well, two plus two does not equal 397,414.807659999. There's something wrong here. So he asks some pertinent questions. Now, the responses to this have been almost as interesting as the letter itself. Not because they have been so well done, but for the opposite reason. And, and it, it <laughs> kind of takes you back. You go, wow, yeah, that's all you've got? You know, I, I'm thinking about the, uh, well, the response of Kwaku with his, you know, tits show. This is the show with the acronym tits. That was a complete double whammy black eye to fair and the most embarrassing, stupid thing they have ever done. The interesting thing is John Lynch and Scott Gordon, the president, and all those guys, the public relations managers, they were thrilled with Kwaku for a while because look how many views we're getting on the videos. Wow, we've quadrupled our views. And Kwaku stands in front of the camera and just mocks everybody. And he attacks the person and his substance is just virtually nothing there. It's hollow. You know, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. That's not what we're after. Sure, you get a lot of views because it's entertainment, but this is one of those things that entertainment isn't what the church is hoping to get, but they're hoping to get converts, you know. I have my strong suspicion that FAIR is not very good about converting anybody these days with the likes of Kwaku. I think now they've kind of got rid of Kwaku. And if they didn't, they should have. At least he's beginning to hang around a group called Midnight Mormons that are every bit as dingling and attacking people and mocking things instead of having a, a really good, honest, sound discussion over the pros and cons of various propositions within the Mormon narrative. You're not going to get that from Kwaku or Midnight Mormons or FAIR as far as that goes. FAIR has really, man, they've gotten weird. I mean, being one of the original founders of FAIR, the direction they've taken, wow, that's nothing like what I imagined it would have been. 10 years ago when I helped found it, 15 years ago, however long ago it was, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, man, 20 years have gone by, holy cow, that's not fair, <laughs> that's not fair. The CES letter has had a response from, also from, uh, Daniel Peterson, the former Farms director, the main editor of the Farms Review of Books. 
and even his response at the fair conference, now granted it's been like six years ago now, but even that was complete, uh, it, it, was, it was just so nonchalant and flippant, you know. He said, well, this isn't very scholarly. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Not very scholarly. It wasn't a scholar who wrote this down. But the question is, you as a scholar, why aren't you dealing with its substance? You know, well, it doesn't have Hebrew, Greek, or what. It has no display of scholarship. As if that has anything to do with his arguments, right? And then he says, well, it's 90 pages of boring reading. But, well, hundreds of thousands of the Mormon youth are jumping ship out of Mormonism and joining the ex-Mormon Reddit. Maybe you better start thinking about your own silly scholarly assumptions. More people by far read the CES letter than read Dan Peterson's interpreter or, or even his blog, Sick at Nam. So the response is vastly inferior and far from adequate, without question. I mean, Peterson even went so far as to say, well, I mean, this is old stuff. We've already given answers. As if that's a response to these specific issues. We've already given answers. We're not interested in getting answers. Yeah, it's an interesting apologetic strategy these days, isn't it? Well, we've already given the answers. Well, obviously, they aren't good enough. I mean, if you're answering a false historical narrative with lousy answers, ten years down the road, if you're still wondering why people aren't believing, well, we gave answers, well, maybe you better go double-check your answers, right? Is that all you want to be able to say is, oh, well, we, it's got answers, it's got answers. Yeah, there's some within Mormonism who's going to say, oh, well, in that case, I guess I'll keep going to church. The rest of us who actually think see something vastly different. Jeremy Rommel's CES letter falls into that process. Now, the interesting thing is, it is just straightforward. It's very well written. It's simple in its language, yeah. But it just click, 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 click click, goes right to the issues, right to the problems, and he describes, well, I mean, it's, he deals with prophecy, he deals with uh, the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, he deals with the essays on the church website, he deals with blacks in the priesthood, he deals with Book of Mormon translation issues, and he also deals with something remarkably interesting now, and he has a video clip of this on his site, the cesletter.com foundation or CES letter foundation something like that you can google it these days of google you can check anything it's so easy and fun you have to be careful though because there's a bunch of stupid crap out there on the internet too but you can find the CES letter very easy on the internet but this idea that now Several prominent Mormons, I mean Stephen E. Snow, the church historian, the former church historian, I should say, and uh, Richard Bushman, and uh, I mean even Elder Dieter Uchtdorf 
is on there saying, yeah, well, we've made mistakes. Our narrative didn't work. And there are several prominent Mormon scholars who are now saying, oh, man, these guys that are just sticking with literal wooden history, historical truth instead of the much more full implications of Scripture, uh, yeah, they're not doing us any favors anymore, you know. In other words, the old approach of, of Lou Midgley, for instance, and Dan Peterson and those guys, you know. Uh, they're admitting that not only is the current narrative false, but that it's misleading. And we have to begin to become more open, they say. The day where we can hide from the members some of the bad stuff, we can't do that anymore. In other words, they, they are admitting that we now have to quit lying about all of it. Quit lying about it? Well, that would be nice. But apparently you're not thinking through the full implications of what's going on here. Because you're being, well, because of the information age, you are being forced to be more truthful. Yeah. Do you really think that's the image you want to portray? I mean, at this point, because you guys are so browbeaten, interested in hero worship of the apostles and prophets, you know, Boyd K. Packer's faithful history, and I don't trust historians to want to tell every truth. We need to do just faith-promoting stuff and all that. Well, that stupid policy is sure biting you in the butt now, isn't it? <laughs> I am so glad I'm not an apologist and have to defend what's going on right now. Holy nightmare Batman. If you have to be forced to open up and tell the truth, how are you ever going to be trustworthy anyway? Right? Yeah, and I know. I know. Yeah, we've got the Joseph Smith Papers Project. Oh, now we're open and transparent. Malarkey. The Mormons who have their own blogs, the Mormons who do their own YouTube videos, you know, you'll notice they don't allow the like and dislike buttons, nor do they allow comments to be made. <laughs> See, Mormons want to dictate to you. They don't want to dialogue. They don't want to come let us reason together Let's analyze the strengths and the weaknesses. They want you to get the impression that there are no weaknesses. This is just the truth. What you need to do is just believe, have faith, and come and join us. Yeah, the good old days when Mormonism could control the narrative. Those days are over. And the CES letter is proof of that. You know what else I find so interesting? is that the CES letter, Dan Peterson, for instance, in his explanation of the DNA in the Book of Mormon issue, and granted it was six years ago, but he really didn't deal adequately with that as Jeremy Runnels described. And in point of fact, my own video, you can find it 
on the mormondiscussions.inc YouTube website. Just look me up in the playlist, The Backyard Professor. I've got a DNA and Book of Mormon video. I've got well over a dozen videos now describing various different problems with the Mormon narrative now. But I've outdated Dan Peterson's approach to the DNA so that they are still not adequately addressing the issue of the Book of Mormon. And, I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive against my friend Mike Ash. I consider him my friend. Uh, even though I'm on the other side now, I'm, I'm moving more toward the light, the further light and knowledge that Father promised, instead of staying stagnant with the false narrative that the Mormons have been perpetuating for the last 150 years. I've decided to graduate past their sixth grade level, so to speak, and move on. But even my good friend Mike Ash, in his bamboozled by the CES letter, uh, he really doesn't adequately present anything. The, the thing I noticed about his Book of Abraham, I was real interested in the, uh, the responses to Runnell's analysis of the Book of Abraham issue is Ash agrees, you know, basically we've got this papyri and uh, and yes, there were characters taken from the papyri and, and there were translations of the Book of Abraham in English based on those Egyptian characters and all. And the real problem is the papyri do not translate into the Book of Abraham like Joseph Smith said it did because today we have the Egyptologists who can translate the papyri properly and they don't find the Book of Abraham in it. And then Ash says, however, hold on. I mean, what if this or this or this showed up? What if we looked at it this way? Perhaps the reason that it doesn't work out is because of this or that. The thing that is so remarkable about Mormon apologetics at this point is that from a Bayes' theorem perspective, and, and Ash isn't using Bayes' theorem, I'm saying from a Bayes' theorem perspective, if a particular piece of evidence does not justify a hypothesis, every ad hoc excuse you add to explain why the evidence does not match the hypothesis does not improve the chances of the hypothesis being true. It makes it even lower in probability. Because every single hypothesis added in order to explain why the evidence doesn't work takes up part of the probability space. There is a 100% probability space. If your hypothesis fits the evidence, it possesses 100% of that probability space. But for every reason you put forth, or for every different theory you put forth trying to explain away the problem, that also takes up part of the 100% probability space with the implication that 
it gets less and less and less likely with more and more and more theories trying to present and save the original hypothesis. So, you know, John Gee's longer role theory, or John Twetness, his mnemonic theory, or the theory now where they talk about the inspiration theory, the catalyst theory, etc., etc., etc. I mean, they've presented like, what, 11 different theories now for why the Book of Abraham doesn't come out of the papyri? Every one of those are making it less and less probable that Joseph Smith got it right. It is not giving him a better chance it is sinking him deeper in the quagmire. And apparently the Mormon scholars don't understand that about Bayes' theorem. I mean, Daniel Peterson right now on his, on his uh, interpreter website is, is letting this clown uh, study out with this guy named Kyler Rasmussen and he's doing something or other. He use, he throws the words mathematics around probability and Bayes' theorem and all that, but he's doing it completely egregiously wrong. And Dan Peterson's letting him post it. Because Dan says, well, you know, we've had a PhD mathematician look at this, and yeah, this is valid Bayesian theorem. Well, the website I'm hanging out with Discuss Mormonism or Mormon Discussions, Dr. Shade's message board. We have professional accountants, scientists, uh, linguists, and so on and so forth, and they are showing how Kyler Rasmussen doesn't have a pee picking clue. <laughs> he just lost out there in limbo. His analysis of the Bayes theorem with the Book of Mormon is just junk. It's Book of Mormon pornography science, is how Dr. Moore puts it, something like that, on our website. But I, it, it's amazing how silly the antics of apologetics has gotten to. Jim Bennett, for instance, well, someone, it was probably Kwaku, no, I mean, his IQ is barely high enough to be able to talk, I'm afraid. And see, that's an ad hominem, right? So I'm guilty also, but really, when you watch Kwaku function, it's not impressive. You're embarrassed for him, I promise. <sighs> it's not even entertaining, it's just downright stupid. But none of his arguments hold water, of course, but uh, this idea that uh, he is presenting evidence against Jeremy Runnels because Jeremy Runnels lied about the CES director event in the first place. And Runnels, of course, is just miffed. He's going, why do they even have to resort to that? You know, why don't you just deal with the arguments, right? So Jim Bennett, another Mormon that, that uh, Runnels has had interaction with, has come out and agreed. Now, and he said this on the, I believe it's the Mormon Stories podcast with uh, the uh, YouTube with John DeLynn. 
He said, no, I, I guarantee it. Yeah, I know the CES director event happened. That, that's not fake. Runnels isn't faking that. Now, in his argument with Runnels, Bennett himself, his argument against Runnels is not based on Runnels' argument about the false Orthodox Mormon narrative. I mean, this stuff gets weird, positively weird. Bennett has his own heterodox interpretation of Mormonism that even the Orthodox Mormons are not going to agree with him on. Bennett is arguing against Runnell's CES letter based on his heterodox interpretation. about convoluted, wild, weird, crazy. I mean, this is the wild, wild west, man. It is just so fascinating to see how something so simple, so non-speculative as the CES letter pulls out so much speculative ad hominem making up lies to refute the CES letter from all of the Mormons. It is so fascinating. And Runnels always comes out on top. That's why hundreds of thousands of people are still reading the CES letter. That's why it has such a power. It's just straightforward. It's simple. You can read it in just a matter of a couple of hours, unless, of course, your name is Daniel C. Peterson. He was bored with it because he himself is boring. You know, he, he's trying to mock Runnels, and it bites him in his butt. I mean, it, Peterson's analysis is not valid. It's not impressive. I mean, first, you know, the sad thing is, Peterson used to be a really good scholar. I mean, his, his Nephi and his Asherah, I believe that was published in the John Sorensen Feshrift, that was good scholarship, man. And ever since that point, man, Peterson has just fallen apart for whatever. Well, I mean, Farms was dismantled because they kept attacking people too much, you know. It was the uh, Gregory Smith's hit piece against John DeLynn that was just so insipidly, ridiculously stupid to do, and yet these guys loved attacking anybody who didn't think like they did, and they attacked anybody who came to a conclusion different than their literal, wooden, historical interpretation. So they became judge and jury, and of course, the church can't allow them to start attacking other members of the church, so they dismantled farms. They fired Peterson and told everybody else, get the hell out of town. We don't want nothing to do with you like this. They turned it into the Neil A. Maxwell Institute, and, and they haven't done anything hardly. <laughs> I mean, what can you do with it, right? So this CES letter enigma is fantastically interesting. And there's another angle that is truly remarkably interesting. And that is this confession about the essays on the church website. Now, of course, 
you know, much like blacks in the priesthood, it was public pressure that finally forced Mormons to come out with the Joseph Smith Papers Project, you know. Yeah, now we're all wide open. We're publishing everything Joseph Smith ever... <clears throat> and that's a good thing, but they started out with these various essays on the Adam God and pre-existence and Book of Mormon translation with the seer stones in a white hat, not using the gold plates, and Joseph Smith marrying other men's wives while they were still married to them, and marrying a 14-year-old girl, things like that. The Book of Abraham translation, they've come out and confessed, yeah, the Book of Abraham doesn't translate from the papyri, things like that. These essays that were meant to be more honest, more realistic, more truthful, more, more open. The phenomenal thing about these essays, <laughs> and I experienced this firsthand, this was hilarious. Because as a teenager, preparing for my mission, this, uh, this information, now that the church has said, well, no, this is really how it was, you know, I guess, I guess blacks being disallowed from the priesthood really wasn't a revelation of God, it was just their personal opinion. And uh, so it wasn't really a revelation. They threw Brigham Young under the bus, you know. That's what they do with every old prophet. Former prophecies and doctrines become today's hearsays and opinions, right? So whatever the prophet is testifying today of any kind of revelation he got from Jesus in the upper rooms of the Salt Lake Temple while he's having hot chocolate and donuts with Jesus uh, is going to be tomorrow's opinion because it's not going to match, right? <laughs> many, many Mormons got on the internet with all of the various message boards when these essays were posted on the church's official website. Hundreds of Mormons <laughs> got on there and they, they notified the church too. They were terrified because they said, oh my gosh, the church website has been hacked. It's been hacked by anti-Mormons, and they're posting their anti-Mormon filth and crap and apostate views on our church's website. We've got to warn them, man. We've got to tell everyone out there on the internet that, hey, th this has been hacked. We don't really believe any of that stuff. <laughs> and this was the sanctioned essays that the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve, who, of course, aren't man enough to man up and write it themselves, they deferred it to the arm of flesh Mormon apologists, right? I mean, the leaders of the church aren't even going to lead us anymore because they don't want to, they don't want to get caught saying or doing something difficult or, or, ooh, ooh, you know, argumentative or anything like that. They want to have plausible deniability. So let the minions, let the apologists take care of that. And then if they do say something stupid, then we can always just disavow them. Oh, well, that's just their opinion. You know, I, again, it's another cheap and dirty trick, right? The sulfic versus the mantic as Nibley tried to warn them.
See, this is the remarkably interesting thing decades ago Nibley talked about, the mantic prophetic being sliding into the sophic philosophical apostate thinking, and that's exactly what we're witnessing in Mormonism. Using the classical Greek definitions, of course, sophic is the rhetoricians, the rhetoricians' weapon. Uh, rhetoric is the art of making something true appear to be false and something false appear to be true. There you have it. Uh, the mantic Mormonism from Joseph Smith's day, if it ever was mantic, has slid into the sophic deceptive aspects of Mormonism today. And now they've been caught because of the internet the same way the Catholics got caught with Gutenberg's printing press. Yeah, baby! Now today we have worldwide electronic information that with just a couple of typings of buttons we can get, they can't control the narrative. There's no more controlling the narrative. They don't, they can't intimidate you and browbeat you and make you feel guilty. Yes, Russell Nelson says that doubters are lazy learners. Well, what does he know about the king's name in facsimile number three? Could you tell me the king's name, Russell? Could you tell me about the actual relationship of the, the papyri with the Book of Abraham and the Kirtland Egyptian papers and the alphabet and grammar? Yeah, you know. Can you honestly tell me about uh, astrophysics and Kolob and on and on and on? Do you know anything at all about black holes or how astronomy works these days, Russell? Yeah. You know, the, the idea of intimidating, the idea of making us feel lesser than, uh, it's always our fault. The church is perfect, the members are not. Bunk. I don't buy that anymore at all. The church is not perfect, and we are not the problem. We are not the ones who presented the false faith-promoting narrative in the first place. Yeah, true, we were stupid enough to believe you and follow you and not criticize, but we're not there anymore. Now we have a much broader, deeper set of information with which to compare, and you flop with your narrative. And your own scholars are now agreeing to it, and so are your actions with the essays on the website, with the Joseph Smith papers coming out and all that, you've been forced to become honest. Shame on you for putting yourselves in that spot. The truth needs to be lied about in order to be believed, and you bought that stupid Boyd K. Packer philosophy? <laughs> you deserve the problems you have now, then. It's time to wake up and smell the roses, you know. The rest of us are, and the CES letter is leading the charge. So thanks for watching my Backyard Professor videos. Be good, do well, be kind, have fun, make friends, you guys. There's a common humanity element here that makes us so wonderful as a species. Let's start emphasizing that. Mr. Rogers, I like you just the way you are.
not Mr. Russell M. Nelson. Are you worthy of the Lord's blessings? you damn right we are. Yes, we are. Because we too are children of God. Don't let the church browbeat us and intimidate us into feeling lesser than. We are every bit of divine in our core as any of those so-called second anointed brethren are in Salt Lake City. I'll see you guys in the next Backyard Professor video.